Welcome to the Black Hat Chat podcast with Lee Johnson and Reverend Kai, a weekly show about living as a modern crafter where two witches discuss a variety of topics concerning magic and witchcraft. You can also catch us live on Fridays on YouTube. The links are in the description of the podcast or in the about section. So grab yourself a cup of coffee or tea and let's begin. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night, good people around the world. This is Black Hat Chat, collaboration between myself, Lee, and over there is Kai. And just two witches that get together every Friday and talk about magic and witchcraft and being modern crafters. All right. Um, well, we do have an announcement about time. And Pardon. it's it's the mailman time. <laughs> Pardon my puppy. Uh, so the, everybody go check your mail. <laughs> for those of you in countries that follow daylight savings time, that is changing this weekend on Sunday. And last time that happened, we did adjust our time. We are not going to do that this time. We like the 5 p.m. GMT slot. So uh, those of you with daylight savings time. It's going to move. So pay attention. Next week, we will be an hour earlier. Earlier. <laughs> awesome. I have to do the math in my head. I do not think daylight savings time is a good idea. Uh, but <laughs> so pay attention. Do the calculations. Um, I have to go to timeanddate.com all the time. And you can put in time zones and compare anything you need anywhere in the world to figure out what time 5 p.m. GMT is on next Friday. So uh, that's posted in our servers too, pinned on our Facebook group if you need that page. We'll just put it into Google. Google just gives you all the times. Yeah, true. <clears throat> so I do. All right, so we are discussing the last letter. Um, from Robert Cochran to Joe Wilson today, the sixth letter. And this is a study chat. Uh, so we it, it's it's we don't plan anything. We just read the letter, discuss it, and ramble on. This is like a study group when you're in college and you get together and you have yeah. to study things together. Uh, but we read <laughs> the letters out loud. That way, anybody who's following along on the podcast gets to... Uh, hear the letters, and then mm. talk about whatever comes up. Uh, and that includes whatever comes up for you. So if we're reading along and there's something that you want to talk about or comment on or have questions about, please put that in the chat because we want to study with everyone. The bigger our group, the more we learn. Yes. All right, so let's start reading. So this is the letter, as I said, sixth letter, dated 8 April 1966. Dear Joseph, I received your second letter just as I was going to post the first. I'm very glad you had your wife have... What? Oh, sorry. Um, wait. That's got to be a typo. You and yes. your wife is... You and your wife. I am very glad you and your wife have come to an understanding. 
since domestic sorrow is a very big price to pay in order to belong to the faith. There is no necessity that one's beloved should also belong, since one of the basic tenets of wisdom is that of tolerance. Uh -huh. We'll get to that just now. <laughs> <laughs> the, pe the people have had experienced, have had and experienced many centuries of intolerance, persecution and pain. Therefore, we make no attempt to convert, but instead we are just content to belong, that being enough in its own right. Your wife probably felt insecure in the face of a belief that inevitably obsess, obsesses its male followers. And to many people who have as yet to see the goddess triumphant, the faith is a strange and alien belief, intertwined with childhood memories of wicked witches and later sensationalism from the gutter press. So, to a young girl... Look, no? Oh, I was going to say, uh, if you haven't read the previous letter, uh, number five, there is that explanation of why he thinks that the faith obsesses its male followers. <clears throat> yeah. Oh, hello, Craig. Hello, Candace. Candace, is this the same as how patience is a virtue? Mm, don't know about that. <laughs> 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 All right. Um, what was that? Oh, yeah. To a young girl looking in from the outside, it must seem frightening, since to her she must have seen she must have seen the man she loves subtly change and aside to his character appear that she does not understand. And although this character is not malignant <clears throat> malignant in any way, it is alien to what normally passes as normal in this world. You no doubt have discovered that a whole new philosophy and new morality and new personality has begun to awaken in yourself and subtly alter your life. Yet, in spite of the excitement of the, of the chase and the desire to know, to know that drives all witches, you must try to think of the effect this has upon someone who has not as yet kindled the flame. This is a frightening experience, and one that brings a sensation of tremendous insecurity, especially to a girl with a child in her womb. A piece of advice, if I may be allowed to give it, is that no philosophy, no creed, no, no god is worth more than the love that one human being may give and receive in their lifetime. This is what I meant by being involved. It doesn't really matter how wise or knowledgeable one is, providing one can, learn, can love and be loved in return. In this way, the Christian ethos of love, loving, one, love, sorry, loving one's neighbor is very true. All one needs after that is the witch law. Do not do what you desire, do what is necessary. Take all you are given, give all of yourself. What I have, I hold. When all else is lost and not until then, prepare to die with dignity. These may sound like peculiar laws, but they are wise and based upon experience. The first is perhaps one of the most difficult criterions to live by, since there is no room for illusion. The second allows you little time for yourself. The third is the keystone of wisdom, and the fourth is the basic key to the witch personality. Long one, that. Yeah, very long yeah. one. And lots of stuff in here. Yeah, just like how he talks about tolerance. And he... 
then it goes off. Right. (laughs) Yeah, well, none of us are are perfectly tolerant of all things, and there's always a paradox of tolerance, too. Anyways, yeah. So there are some really good things in here. Um, The witch laws, uh, as he calls them, I learned is the four proverbs, um, the four most important proverbs. And then I was also given a list of additional proverbs um, that are little sayings like that, little bits of wisdom uh, that you can imagine, you know, your grandmother repeating to you (laughs) in your childhood. Uh, But those four are uh, big ones that I find common in that exact phrase. So I must assume that they had to come from Cochrane and through various streams of craft picked up in various places. But especially what I have I hold, uh, that one was always a, a big deal with my teachers uh, because it's, it's one of those things that sounds really simple but when you sit down and think your way through it, it's very complex. Um, you know, you need to actually hold and care for and make space for what you have. Those are your, you know, gifts, talents, knacks, um, but also your physical possessions, your family, you know, those things that you value. And vice versa, if you are, if you have something, you are holding it and it can harm you. Um, mm-hmm. If you have decided to pick up uh, pain and sorrow and suffering, you are holding it and causing yourself harm. And so it's important to have that um, inner inventory of what do you have? What are you holding? You know, uh, what are you carrying with you as a witch? You know, do you remember years ago people trying to take these laws apart? And then somebody mentioned that it becomes personal to everybody at the end oh, of the yeah. day. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. do not do what you desire. Do what is necessary. Why can't we do what we desire? Well... Mm. <laughs> I combine that with, you know, love is the law, love under will. Um, do what thou wilt shall be yeah. the whole of the law. But I think those That's say pretty discussion. much the same thing. Um, mm. Don't go after what you want. Go after what you need. You know, once needs are fulfilled, then there is space for pleasure. There is space mm. for joy. Uh, but especially when it comes to witchcraft, most of us are struggling. Witchcraft is, is the tool of the oppressed quite frequently, and those on the fringes, and those that are cast out, you know, the freaks. And so it's usually about meeting needs, needs for safety, you know, uh, to pay the bills, to put food in your family's bellies. And so when we're talking about magic, that's often where it is. Yes, there is magic for pleasure some kinds but 
it's not the bulk of, of folk magic history by mm. far um so but especially mm. you know oh go ahead well, like Ender said, sometimes what we desire is not what we need. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I think we do see it in some people where, in, in, in a lot of cases, it becomes escapism, actually. They, they can't actually deal with the responsibilities sort of on the shoulders, and they're escaping to whatever it is. Um, and that's just pure desire. And everything goes by the wayside. And it becomes an addiction. Oh yeah. Mm. So it is. It is the responsibility we have as witches to do what is necessary rather than what we desire. Yeah. Well, I actually don't think that ever changes because there's always a necessity somewhere. Yeah, there is, and I think a lot of times, I think of that proverb when it comes to situations where I'm terribly emotionally involved and mm. uh especially things where someone has wronged me and i want revenge you know i i want to punish them i want to make them pay i want to make them hurt and that's what i desire but that's not what is necessary what is necessary mm. is for me to heal and for them to not continue to harm so once I get, you know, the yelling and the screaming and the ranting and the raving out, I can move past that and move on to doing magic that is focused on what is necessary. In a way, we could actually argue that the ranting and raving and screaming and everything else is actually a necessity because you've got to do that to get out of the way. True. <laughs> but I guess, I guess from a magical perspective, I don't take that and direct it towards them. Mm. Um, I try very hard not to to put more harm in the world because pouring pain on top of pain does not result in healing. And, mm. you know, yelling and screaming and ranting and raving at them is not going to to help that. It's not going to solve it. Having a calm conversation, telling them what's wrong, absolutely. But, uh, you know, I try... I try not to just scream and yell at people. Uh, and that was definitely not always my life position as a young child and a young person. Uh, mm. <laughs> I we did the opposite. We, yep. we get old. Um, Craig said, uh, if you ignore your desires, do your needs become your only desire? Well, hang on. I've got to read that a couple times. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's kind of some of the Buddhist philosophy, let go of attachment. You know. Yeah, but then you have then we have to question what attachment actually really is. Yeah. Yeah. And and this is one of those sit and contemplate and debate uh for years. I have and years I have I have an easy easy litmus test for attachment. If you get rid of it and you cry, it was an attachment. <laughs> yeah, but then we talk about necessary and unnecessary attachments. Mm. You know, and we're in a uh, physical form. Therefore, 
we are incarnating in the plane of attachment. It is attachment itself that makes physicality possible, gravity. And so because of the incarnation through the physical form, we must form attachments in order to exist within this plane. And so part of it can be argued to, to release all attachments would be to release this physical form, which is a path some things take. Uh, but I think witchcraft, traditional witchcraft, is pretty well rooted in the physical form and being active in the material plane. I mean, we talk about we do not desire to get off the wheel of Dharma and reincarnation. In fact, we want to remember and meet and love again. We want to come back and do it all over. Mm. So I think this is one of those things where it's think about it and like you said, pick it to pieces. And it's not going to hold up in every instance because witchcraft is not absolutist. Mm. We don't have absolute morality. We don't have absolute ethics. We have situational ethics that are based on what's going on. Some people say, you know, it's always for the greater good, the greater good. Uh, but what is the greater good is that humanity, is that family, is that individual self, is that the possibility for um, wisdom, or is that physical survival, you know? So all of those constantly up for debate. Yeah, I'll go on and on. We're just up for hours, I think. Oh, yeah. Um, let me just go back over here. Candace said it is also symptomatic of the current ethos of the world. I'm going to start that again. It is also symptomatic of the current ethos of instantaneous everything. People hope magic is the quick fix, but like my mentor has said, patience. Yes, got to have patience. Going out and physically doing it is usually much quicker than magic. If you really mm. want someone out of your life, you can do all this work to get them out of their life, or you can drive over their house and punch them in the face. <laughs> One's quicker than the other, if you're just talking expediency. Mm. <laughs> but again, also do not to consider do... the reaction, though. Right. Do not do what you desire. Do what is necessary. <laughs> <laughs> um, Candace also said to me, no, your needs will never be a desire. It will mean that you have embraced life as it is and find the beauty in it. I don't know. I think needs can be desire. I mean, I, I absolutely desire to have my needs met. There you you know, that's a logical phrase. Many of us have been in situations where our needs have not been met. So, no. um, not necessarily the base of the pyramid if we're going with like Maslow or something, but many of us are in, in positions and have been in positions where our needs have not been met. And the stress and the pain that that causes uh, prevents us from having space for having our wants and desires uh, even realized, let alone actualized. Mm -hmm. I'm sure we can also say, I mean, I desire to have a happy life in order to have that. I have 
need to um, have specific needs met in order to get there. Yeah. <clears throat> I, I, this makes me think of a lot of things early on in magic. A lot of people think of it as wish fulfillment. You know, mm. um, unfortunately, things like the secret and vision boards and stuff like that have collided with new age thought to create magic that is basically wish fulfillment and that doesn't serve it if you're at the point where the only thing you need for magic is wish fulfillment you probably have the capacity to, to fulfill those wishes otherwise so and and i don't think um desires the fulfillment of desire is not as near a motivator in learning effective magic as is the fulfillment of need i mean we even call the thing in the middle the need fire yes there's another route and there's a reason for that and blah 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 but they're totally related you know it's mm -hmm. about need it's about necessity quite often mm -hmm. And Yolandi said, ranting and raving helps to get rid of pent-up energy. Yeah. yeah. It does. Sometimes you need to get rid of that in order to actually move forward smoothly. Yeah. I think it's a very good demonstration of the most easily accessible energy for most magicians early on, and that's emotion. And especially mm. in our modern society, most of us have plenty of access to our emotions of rage and um outrage because it's what the vast majority of our social media is driven on so we've trained ourselves to produce rage very quickly and so it can be uh you know an immense source of energy uh whether we want it or not hence the pent-up energy but also th that is the evil eye which has been part of cultures worldwide for probably as long as there have been humans lots and lots of folk magic is about how to protect against the evil eye there's folk traditions even about how to stop yourself from accidentally casting the evil eye and it's because our magic our energy is tied to our emotions so closely there's other ways to uh, access and manipulate and generate energy but emotion is sure the easiest mm. and that that energy is going to be readily available early on <clears throat> i mean emotions like anger and stuff if you can well let up mm -hmm. fantastic you can use it so many things yeah yeah but it is it is also i mean that obviously that um need to learn how to become what I always call the observer and then actually channel that energy into something specific. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people just go boom. Yeah. Which doesn't really help. No, it doesn't. But I think those, um, those early explosions, uh, that are amorphous and kind of directed are often most people's earliest proof that magic works. Mm. you know some of those first experiences and without guidance that leads people to being rage monsters you know so that can 
leads down some very dark things. And there's other emotions too. I just think our modern society uh, rage is probably the most accessible for a lot of people early on. Uh, kind of said DBT called it the wise mind. Mm -hmm. The observer. Is that oh, is that referring to the observer? Mm -hmm. I like that. Yeah. When we're when we're first doing magic, we have access to those emotions and to that generation of energy. Um, what we don't have access to is often the skill of transmutation, which is I, I'm phrase it that way because I'm into alchemy. But the ability to take energy generated from one source and change that into some other kind of energy in order to direct it out. Because when you generate a bunch of energy from rage or outrage, it's got that in it. That's why the evil eye curses people. You know, it's got that destruction, consuming, hot, uh, fiery kind of stuff in it. And transmutation is being able to take that and change its form into something else so that when it goes out, it is no longer what it started as. And that takes some work, that takes some skill, it takes some practice, like most skills in magic. So, you know, you can still use pent-up energy and rage and all of those easily accessible emotions in an effective way in magic. It's just, there's, you got to practice and figure out the way to do it. Mm. All right, let's get back to this. Um... <laughs> so you've gone way off. That's okay. <laughs> All right, so that was the desire necessary part. That was um, the, <laughs> let's the first see. One. Take all you are given, give all of yourself. I learned that as um, take all you are given and give all that you shall give. And I, mm. I much prefer Robin Artisan's phrasing of that. What is given is truly taken and what is taken is truly given. Well, that's almost a balance of energy. Yeah. He usually uses that in reference to... Um, Usually in his poems regarding the Fae and the ancestors. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, take all that you are given. Don't, don't leave stuff on the table. Um, it, especially in magic, I find that this comes to mind when I go ask the ancestors or the gods for a sign or an answer and they give it to me and I'm like, eh, I don't like that. Uh, <laughs> not exactly what I wanted to hear um, <laughs> so I don't take all of what is given I take bits and pieces that I like I take mm. the notices that fit my confirmation bias I take the the parts that I wanted to hear instead of all of it you know I don't want to swallow the whole pill that's when it comes up frequently for me but also sometimes sometimes I bits you have to hear oh yeah Definitely. It's not a, a good idea to just take the good pieces. <laughs> That's why there's a proverb about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then the other part, give all of our, what is taken is truly given and what is given is truly taken. When you give offerings, when you pay for services, when you exchange the coin, 
then you have to actually trust that it is taken because mm -hmm. very very rarely do we get confirmation in the other side of that equation so there is there is an understanding and a trust and a belief and a, a leap of faith in that part of the equation yeah because as i said is oh as you said no it's, it's an energy exchange and uh as i said when robin uses this very much in like the red meal and things like that mm -hmm. so there's that energy exchange between you and the spirits or you and the land and that constant energy exchange between you and the land because we're living on it yeah yeah um, so you can you put your energy in and you get the energy out yeah i think this phrase here take all you are given give all of yourself um relates well to you know study the path if you're going to do this do it don't half-ass it you're not going to get good results if you don't learn all that your teacher gives you or and and i don't just mean a human in that sense and you're not going to get it if you don't actually put yourself into the work if you don't actually do your breathing exercises and you don't actually do your practices and work through your divination and all of that sort of stuff all of the the boring work that all of us snark at in the first year or two like oh i thought it was going to be magic I didn't think it was going to be sitting here trying to fucking figure out how to breathe again <laughs> <laughs> yep been there done that thanks Candace asks isn't that the human condition which part now <laughs> we've well, rattled so much I can't remember that's one of the part. great things about witchcraft it is folk magic so it is absolutely the human condition mm. that's why there are so many experiences in so many different cultures that we can refer to as witchcraft or magic because humans come back to this humanness again and again and again and craig said would karma be like taking all you are given depends well depends on your definition of give karma. And take. Yeah. If we're talking um, yeah. like Eastern philosophy karma, yeah, if we're talking like um, schuld or schooled, that, yeah, but if we're talking like Western karma of the, <clears throat> the scoreboard in the sky of good and bad deeds, then no. Mm. That's a difficult one, that. <laughs> All right. Richard did say, um, do your best, do nothing halfway, accept the fruits of your labor. Yeah. Mm, it's a good way of seeing it. As I said, I mean, years back we were discussing these and somebody said it's, it gets very personal. It does. You them your own personal way. And I think that's... I think that's really important that we, mm. I mean, 
the Proverbs are something that I find I go back to again and again and I study again and again because there's so many ways to understand them and there are so many ways to apply them and they have to be personal they have to be you know understood in the moment for my experiences and, and my place and they change and they change the well. just like we do we have different experiences we have different points on the branching paths of life so we're going to have different understandings mm. uh, um, craig did say not not school board mm. so he's talking about the eastern philosophies yeah so yeah mm -hmm. i could see that that way another way i think of this um especially what is given is truly taken and what is taken is truly given is when it comes to interacting with the world um, oh. not the postman this time yeah yeah it is it's a different one uh. <laughs> apparently they just took two trucks today i don't know okay <laughs> <laughs> so um this comes to something a wild crafting principle and that is you know do not take everything that is there because it doesn't belong to you but what you are given from the bounty of the earth make sure that you use it so if you harvest a plant you use everything you harvest if there's something you can't use you return it to the earth you return it to the place where you took that plant from um, if you harvest an animal you use everything that you can you do not waste anything and that principle comes up quite frequently um not only in you know gardening and making food and that sort of thing but also in magic you know when you are are given something make use of it make use of it in every possible way you can sit down mm -hmm. and, and suss that out do you have a knack for you know stopping bleeding cool that's a great knack how can you use that in every possible way do you, can you stop the bleeding of the earth can you stop the bleeding of trees uh, does it work the other way can you start bleeding are you like super great at tapping maple trees for syrup you know those knacks need to be explored and that has to absolutely be personal. There's no other way Very, around it. Sorry much what Castaneda said was uh, living impeccably. Mm. You know, every single moment in your life has to be done worthwhile. Yeah. Made impeccable. Otherwise you waste energy. Yeah. yeah. And uh, it's just kind of crappy and disrespectful. Mm. Um, Kenneth said, I love how personal it is, makes conversation interesting and thought-provoking. Mm. It does, but on the other side of that coin are the people who decide that they have figured it out and their way is the only way, which doesn't work very well. Yeah, it's, it's Mount Stupid of the Dunning-Kruger slope. <laughs> <laughs> We've all been up there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, did we get into what I have I hold? Yeah, that's where yeah. I started. We can talk about it more if you want. Let's do the last one. Uh, when all else is lost and not until then, prepare to die with dignity. I think this is this this to me very much speaks about um, if you when you get old and you look back, um, do you have regrets? And it is that it, again, it's about living impeccably, because if you live impeccably throughout your life, you're not going to have those regrets when you get old. You can then die with dignity. Mm -hmm. I've always thought about this as no one to hold them and no one to fold them. Uh, no one, mm. no one to fight, and no one to walk away. Mm. So it's that, that fight flight response as well. Mm -hmm. And I've always thought then... maybe this is because this is in the. Um, the arcanes is that what they're called that set of laws that goes with uh traditional wicca that um is very much phrased and set in um the persecutions and the burning times and so this kind of reminds me of that basically because you know it's the death component Candace said, fight, flight, flee. There's a fourth one. It also Freeze. begins with F. Oh. Yes. Fawn. Oh, that's also FFF. There you go. Flight and flee <laughs> are the same. Uh, fawn and, mm. yeah, the other that's F it. word that we don't say on. Which F word don't we say? Oh, it's fuck. We say that. Uh, <laughs> not... <laughs> Yeah, okay. You said it earlier. <laughs> <laughs> I did? I don't even notice. <laughs> Fight, flight, freeze, and fawn. They have replaced it in textbooks with fawn. Fawn, okay. <laughs> All right, then. <laughs> Go with that. I don't remember. They used to say fight, flight, freeze, and people please, or something like that. I had uh, psychology textbooks that were always cute to tell you that the last one <laughs> was fuck, but they wouldn't print it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Can you die in dignity, though? Yeah, sure. Yeah. It's what hospice is all about, making sure people have their dignity when they die. Mm. Dying is messy and gross. Only if you're not around death a lot. I mean, body yeah. bodies are messy and gross, you know, they produce mucus and all sorts of waste products and everything else. So, uh, clean is not dignity. Physically clean is not dignity. Yeah. I, I do. I think it's, it can depend on how we view and look at death. Um, I mean, when I consider the people I've watched die, physically it's it's not nice, but there is there's a beauty to it. Um, there's those moments, even weeks before the death, um, where they often start seeing people that aren't their loved ones, mm. even 
yeah. um, and getting ready to actually move on. And then the actual release, I just, there is a beauty to it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. There's also, um, from hunting, you know, there's a difference between pursuing an animal in fear mm. and when one of them gives themselves up so that you can eat. Mm. And that is, that is a kind of dignity and it has a, a very, very different feel. Very, very different feel. Mm. Craig said, surely you have to learn an impeccable life, so inevitably mistakes are made. Are we all looking at a guilty deathbed? No. You, you, you do maybe have to learn certain things to live impeccably. Mm -hmm. um, and we will always continue to make mistakes. If we don't, then we don't learn, so... We're all going to make mistakes up to the time we, we die. So, I, I don't think guilt is useful, so I don't really include it in my life. Um, mm. You know, it's it's internal beating the self up for things that often had to happen. We do the best we can with what we have. We make the choices we can at the time we do. And we make wrong choices. Everyone does. Uh, we make choices that uh, have consequences that we didn't want and we didn't intend. And forgiveness has to happen. It, it's the only way through that results in learning and not causing more harm in the future to ourselves or to others. That should not come with piles of guilt because that's often paralyzing and actually guilt and shame are both uh, inhibitory methods that we use to stop people from doing things that are bad but I think uh, for most people I know that are pagan at least animism doesn't involve guilt and shame because it involves connection guilt and shame are both emotions born out of isolation and individualism Um, also, I mean, somebody who's trying to live an impeccable life, they're, they're not going to be perfect. Um, you know, we go through our bad days and our good days, and sometimes we just want to lie down and do nothing. Um, so we can't live impeccably every single moment, every single day. I mean, we read the books like Castaneda and all the Toltec warrior, warrior practice stuff. And they say you have to do this and you have to do that and live impeccably. We're still freaking human beings. We're gonna we make mistakes. We have shit days. It's impossible to live it hundred percent of the time, but we do the best we can. Mm -hmm. And the only reason we they say to live impeccably is because if we are doing something which um, bleeds energy, then we are therefore losing energy when we could actually do something to retain that energy and use it effectively. So, uh, let me carry on here. Candace said, wouldn't it be more the repetition of mistakes that would lead to regret? Hmm. Oh, I, 
Yeah, I would say knowingly making this, making the same mistake twice uh, often feels regrettable. But mm. I don't know if we're talking deathbed stuff, especially natural death, and you've had you know a fairly um, expansive lifespan, then hopefully you aren't going over the litany of all the mistakes you've made in the same way again and again. Mm. But. I mean, I, mean I, I, I got to a point in my life where I look back and I regretted wasting so much time, but it took me a while to see that I, although it didn't go the way I wanted it to, there were a lot of good things that came out of it. So it wasn't a complete waste of time. Well, so therefore I can overcome that regret. Learning how not to do something is still learning. Mm. I mean, we talk about in magic, it's trial and error all the time usually more error. Um, and that's just a way of saying we make a lot of mistakes. We figure out how stuff doesn't work, but we have to do that in order to figure out how it does work. So if you're never making mistakes, you're probably not learning. You're probably not getting to actual growth and understanding. I mean, there has to be, um, the point where we go, I, I didn't like that. I didn't like how I was. I didn't like how that came out. I didn't like those consequences. Next time I will, whatever. Um, but guilt and shame and regret are all stopping mechanisms that make us just, oh no, I'm not doing that. You know, no examination, no opportunity for learning a good way through, a beneficial way through. Uh, I kind of said, um, like, I regret my first few boyfriends because I should have recognized the red flags earlier because I had been in the same situation before. Yeah, I actually remember some, some years back, um, somebody actually said that you will it was speaking specifically about bad relationships. And they said that um, you will keep dating the same person over and over again until you've learned the specific lesson you're supposed to learn. And, you know, I think that goes with most things in life. Yeah. I, I don't do know what we, supposed to learn. Is, but... Yeah, but should there be regret? I mean, it's just that process of... of trying to get to that point where you do learn that lesson. Regret is, is guilt. There. Mm. I mean, they're very, very similar, subtly different, but forgiveness, there has to be forgiveness to move through and move on and not do the same thing instead of stopping, you know, and especially when it comes to dating people, we have all sorts of crap installed in us when we are children that we are not aware of because we are sponges and we just take everything in and build our worldview mm. and then usually we don't look at it anymore and um, often we work at our stuff with people through relationships and that whole you know we find our mirror and the things that bug us in other people are the things we don't want to address in ourselves and all of that sort of stuff so Sometimes you got to go through the ringer three or four times, you know, figure out, oh, I don't want to do this anymore. We're not always mm -hmm. awake. We're not always aware. 
and yeah, again, forgiveness. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, Yolandu said, forgive yourself for stupid mistakes and decisions, and there is no need for guilt. Um, Craig said, so learning from your mistakes is what matters. Yeah. And Kenneth said, isn't that the goal, to learn from mistakes so we can make better mistakes and learn more? Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> so, till eventually we're not making a mistake, hopefully. Mm. We'll make some others after oh, that. Yeah, in some other area. <laughs> yeah. uh, Richard said, mistakes are the best teachers. Too bad you only learn the lesson afterwards, you know. <laughs> That, that's why you learn from other people. That's why mm. we that's why we sit and listen to our elders to hear what mistakes they made and try not to do the same. It's how we mm. advance society. My parents were always saying, "Learn from my mistakes." Yep. Yep. Uh, Yolandi said, "If you didn't make stupid mistakes, you will not be the person you are today." Absolutely. Pray, yeah. Forgiveness sounds like ignoring your own needs. Why is that? Yeah, I'm not sure about that one. Anyway, should we move on <laughs> back to the letter? Because yep, we've been yep. on for 50 minutes and we've only done one paragraph. <laughs> yeah, some, some stuff's deep, man. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Emma said, so true, listen to the elders, yes. Mm -hmm. uh, random note, but the minion is waving at you, Lee. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Should we take a break so I can get more hot chocolate and then come back to the letter? Let, let's finish the rest of the paragraph. You did. Oh, these may sound like peculiar laws. We did yeah. that? Okay, cool. Yeah. Well, I know what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're going to take a break and get more hot chocolate. Go grab yourself a cuppa. We'll see you just now. Welcome back to the Black Hat Chat. We are discussing the Cochrane letters, and this is the sixth letter to Joseph Wilson. Sorry, I just had to delete spam there um we did mention this last week but i don't think we remembered it this week so the links are down in the description for the letters there is uh, a text version on the 1734-witchcraft.org site and there is a pdf version on the clan of tubal cane site the fifth and sixth letters are flipped in the pdf version versus what's on the text version so if you're mm. reading along these last two letters are in a different order. So what we are calling the sixth letter is the one we are reading today, obviously, and we're following the order on the 1734 website. All right, I am going to continue reading now. The on second paragraph. The second paragraph in the second <laughs> hour. All right, chugging right along. <laughs> um. Now, how can I teach your wife? Shall I tell her that the faith is the mother of all gods and goddesses, that Christianity is only a part of the ancient faith, 
and not the whole, that the people are the direct descendants of the ancient shamans, priests, and priestesses of the mysteries? Or shall I tell her that the faith is basically feminine, and in it she, she will find her deepest self-reflected? It has been the, the repository for centuries of the deep feminine wisdom, the protector of the dis, disposed female. I assume that's disposed. That's yeah. Not wrong. yeah, I think so. I was wondering if it was supposed to be dispossessed. I don't know. Anyway, um, in that it recognizes her for what she is, man's total and absolute equal, and the goddess's representative upon earth. That the gods created the world, and to man they gave earth, air, and fire, and to woman they gave earth, air, and water. And that it was decreed that these elements would be worthless until they were brought together in male and female. Therefore, the faith believes that both men and women play their separate and united roles in the comedy we call life. Still, this is poetic, and to a young mother sounds like a strange language. So I will put into the language of so I will put into the language of logic and rational thought something of the mysteries. All right. Uh, shall I continue with the mysteries, or shall we discuss? I think um, we went over pretty well last week. The whole masculine and feminine, male and female stuff and mm. problems therein. Obviously, Cochrane's craft has gender roles. Obviously, Cochrane's craft is heteronormative and uh, is based upon that idea. I do think it is kind of um, interesting that he says, hey, we don't proselytize because, you know, we're pagans, and then decides uh, that Joe's wife should be converted. Mm. <laughs> unless, unless there was something in Joe's letter to him um, um, that was speaking of this. We, we don't know. We, we don't know. That doesn't seem like the attitude he's responding to here because he says it's, it's natural that she would be afraid or mm. suspicious. Um, which I... Yeah. You know, it may have been something that Joe mentioned to I I don't have the experience of finding the craft while partnered. I, when I met my current spouse, I was already a witch and, mm. you know, uh, take it or leave it. That was my attitude about it. This is who I am and this is what I do. And if you don't like that, we ain't dating. But, you know, mm. I, I've known plenty of people that um, are finding the craft later once they're already partnered, once they're already married. Uh, you know, in long-term relationships, and usually it's not a couple that comes to it together. It's one person at a time, and there are issues and things that come up because it is different, um, and it is something that most people don't understand. And, you know, I'm sure we're all familiar with the um, reputation that witches are scary and witchcraft is bad and so on and so forth. You know, there's always that to overcome too. So, you know, it may just be Cochrane reacting to that, that we all, all know about and trying to give Joe some good information to have that conversation. Mm. 
I am surprised, considering how much he brought up Kabbalah in the past letters, that he didn't mention the hexagram, this particular mm. paragraph, um, because that is very much... I mean, the hexagram with the two triangles overlapping is the the movement towards union, and the one is considered to be water, and the other triangle is considered to be fire, and there's three points, earth, air, fire, earth, air, water. Mm-hmm. So it would kind of make sense to this discussion. So I am surprised you didn't bring that into it. Yeah, but I also, I, I am skeptical of Cochrane's familiarity with Kabbalah. Mm. So, I don't know. You know. We still still need to try and find out if um, he discussed with uh, Gray before actually discussing with Wilson. Yeah, before our next um, batch of letters, we should do some date comparisons and look all that stuff mm. up. I have to get a get a spot in the notebook. Yes. All right, then, let me continue. The faith is made of three parts, of which I know two. First part is the masculine mysteries, in which is enshrined the search for the Holy Grail, and is the basis of the Arthurian legends. This is the order of the sun, the clan of Tubal Cain. Under it come learning, teaching, skill, bravery, and truthfulness. In the distant past, the male clan was led by a woman who was their priestess and chieftain. This is the origin of the legend of Robin Hood, and surprisingly enough began the Old Testament and later Christianity, since both Jesus and Moses alike preached a version of the masculine mysteries. Mithraism was also a development of this, and the tradition was followed through into the Middle Ages when the Plantagenet kings were officers of the masculine aspect of the faith. The name Plantagenet means Plantagenet. the devil's Soft Plantagenet. Okay. I think. No, I say that. That's how I've always heard it. Yeah, she does sound a bit more familiar. Um, the effects of the masculine mysteries upon the world can hardly be under underemphasized, since a very considerable portion of civilization owes its origin to them. To name but a few, commerce, lawmaking, lawgiving, parliament, the early forms of, of universities and craftsmen's guilds, which lead to knowledge being contained and taught, surveying all sciences such as metallurgy, astronomy, and so on ad infinitum. The masculine mysteries were the direct creators of modern, modern civilization as we know it now. It must also be remembered that originally the mystery was conducted by a woman and that she was the presiding genius behind many of the fundamental discoveries that created civilization. These mysteries are depicted as a javelin, a cockerel upon a pillar, a ladder, a flail, a 12-rayed sun, and a ladder of eight rungs and a sword of battle, a sword or battle axe. Basically, they have to do with control over three or four elements, especially that of fire. So, there's a lot, a lot here. Mm. And I would say that almost all of this is specific to Cochrane's craft and the downlines that have come from his teachings. 
Um, these are not necessarily universal witchcraft things, um, like the Proverbs are, or he called them the witch laws. But there's a lot of um, worldview foundational building here in this letter. Mm. I'm not quite sure he was talking about, um, this is the origin of the legend of Robin Hood, and surprisingly enough began the Old Testament. Yeah, I have no idea. I, I, I don't ascribe to this worldview in my witchcraft, mm. so I, I really don't know um, what's going on here. Um, but there is definitely a tradition among various forms of witchcraft, especially European witchcrafts, that have this kind of um, piecing together of history that links it to um, the mysteries within the craft. And that's a very common thing. How that links and why that links and what that means is specific to each tradition and has meaning within that tradition. And so I think that's what this is here. Um, the poetic vision that informs the, the mythic origin. And mythic does not mean false. Mythic means mythic. Uh, mythic origins and cosmogony are very important to the grounding and placement of people within a tradition within the universe and the world. So every every religion, every tradition has its own mythic past and how that interacts with the rest of the world. So that's what Cochrane is elucidating, mm -hmm. explaining here. I don't know. Can't find that word. Only weird thesaurus words available. <laughs> uh, we did actually talk about the mysteries quite a bit in it was the chat we had about the mysteries coming of age no it was coming of age right oh okay so we had a show on the mysteries yeah rites of passage that's what we call rites it rites of passage yeah uh, there was a lot of um, discussion about the masculine mysteries and the feminine mysteries within that one now i do um, i do disagree right off that the faith is made of three parts if we're talking about mm -hmm. traditional witchcraft um so there's more than that <laughs> why because there's more than masculine feminine and union yeah i wonder why he says that, uh, of which I know too. Because I think, and I think if we read the rest of the letter, that's where he says it. He explains that he can't know the feminine mysteries. Oh, yeah, sorry. That's the next paragraph. So. Yeah. Uh, Craig said, Young believes the whole area of our minds were myth based. Mm hmm. Mm. Yeah. Uh, All right. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of influence in modern witchcraft and modern paganism uh, uh, from Jung and uh, Joseph Campbell, who did all sorts of stuff on the universal myth. And then you will find plenty of pagans who are like, no, I reject all of that. Um, because it was too universalizing or too uh, generic making 
in the process. So philosophy is philosophy and religion is religion. And there's a lot of different ways to overlap them. The different ways. Okay, we carry on. Feminine mysteries are the deeper connected with the slow tides of creation and destruction of the cycle of life and death. They are best expressed in the pentagram, life slash birth, love, maternity, wisdom, death slash resurrection. They are connected with all things that grow, all creatures of flesh, fertility and sterility, the mystery of the woman who is virgin mother, virgin mother hag in one person. They are in essence the cycle of life and the universality of life and they express themselves in deep intuition and feelings. In other world terms, they control the unconscious as the male controls the conscious. That is, that is, they are what the Jews describe as the second emanation of the Sephirot. Emotion, sensation, Im imagery, empathy, and intuition. They are expressed in symbols as a broom, a flask, a cup, a glove, a distaff and a shift, all of which have a symbolic meaning in the faith. The clan of women is led by a man who acts as a priest and teaches the feminine mysteries. Each one of these symbols has a value in wisdom, and I will teach you both what I know about them in forthcoming letters. Today, since there are so very few, the old system has broken down and the families teach their children both mysteries, so that the tradition will not be forgotten entirely. In the past, the male and female clans were separated except for the nine rites or knots of the year, when they came together and worshipped Godhead. Also, a great deal of traditional rite has been lost, but it will be recovered again one day since things and thoughts alike do not die, they only change. All right. Uh, I have to ask the nine rites or knots of the year. What we would call it Sabbaths is. or holidays now? But nine. I have nine. You've got nine. Because it's commonly eight. Uh, well, it's commonly eight in Gardner's Craft. Mm. In Wicca. So what would they be? You've got the equinoxes and solstices, the cross-quarter days, and then the ninth one? Well, the equinoxes aren't part different. of it um, for me. But there's the solstices and the cross-quarter days, and then there are three other days that are in there, too. Um, it's not even mathematical distributions. It's more about um, the points that anchor the year, the points of transition, the liminal times. Mm -hmm. And they're not, they're not evenly spaced. So, uh, but you know, how many holidays in a year, uh, it varies from tradition, tradition. And this, I feel this paragraph, just like the previous one is about this particular tradition mm -hmm. and, uh, this particular practice the symbols, that sort of thing. And I, I can't speak to a lot of it because it's not my practice. Um, you know, I've looked at it, I, I've studied it, I found wisdom in the pentacle cycle uh, that Cochrane goes into, life, love, maternity, wisdom, death. Um, 
and some of the other things that are in there. There are some things that are common, uh, but a lot of what he's talking about here is specific to his tradition. Mm-hmm. Which um, kind of said, sorry. Yeah. Oh, I was going to say, you know, it's logical that he doesn't present it as his tradition at the time because um, I don't think it was well known enough that there were a bunch of people working a bunch of different traditions. Everyone uh, had been taught that theirs was the craft. So um, now we are aware of the many, many um, lines that were passed down and family traditions and different cultures and everything else. And I'm not sure that was readily available to everyone back in the 60s. I doubt it was. I mean, there was no internet and books were quite scarce. So we have a different um, perspective on it. Yeah, I mean, this was really the only way of actually interacting with people. Um, yeah. I mean, this came about through the Pentagram magazine. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we got writing letters to each other. Um, Kenneth said, I once read that having masculine and feminine, feminine is inherent in all people, irrespective of what's in their pants. Yep. Yep. I, I would um, I mean, say so. We've said this a lot during these letters. I mean, this is very... Cochrane was very binary. Yeah. And the time was very binary. I am definitely not a binary person and not into binary craft. Because mm. it, it just doesn't fit my worldview. At all. Mm. In my experience. So. But I, I have encountered so much in paganism and in witchcraft, Wicca and traditional craft and other forms that is so extremely binary and so focused on penetrative sex. Like, that's it. That's that's the entire focus. This one single act and union and it, it's so limited in my opinion. And mm. I don't think that's the way the craft works. Mm. And, and I mean, and it gets to ideas like um, once read that being masculine or feminine is inherent. Once. Like, I think that should be, just be stuff that's taught in kindergarten. But it's not. It's not big and it's not common. And it, it's sad because so, so much of that uh, cultural knowledge has been destroyed in the process of colonization and the spread of imperialism. You know, white supremacy is highly invested in the binary and especially the heteronormative binary. And I mean, the Nazis destroyed hundreds of uh, studies and research and everything that was being developed about all of this sort of stuff that was, you know, readily available as knowledge and the Nazi regime didn't want it to be known because it didn't fit their system. Just as one example, I'm sure that's happened countless times. So I think it's still happening. I feel like um, we ranted about that, at least I ranted about that, for a good chunk of time last week. And it's the same thing. I mean, and and when I read this in books again and again and again, I, I just have the same reaction like, dude, learn something, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. talk about something else because there's so much more out there. Uh, there's such a 
a wider swath of human experience and human life uh, that obviously is tied into the reality of the craft and our experience of magic that's just straight up missing. And mm. when this is presented as the universal, it does a great disservice because so many people um, have no place to place themselves within the worldview. And if you cannot place yourself in the worldview, you won't adopt it. You won't belong to it because there's no place for you. And that's, that's one of the saddest things to think about something like witchcraft, that there would be no place for someone. Anyways. Ethan is flying the flag. And kind of said, sounds limited and boring. History is written by the victor. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. We have to add to our yes and three, witchcraft is queer. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Things that we say all the time. Witchcraft is queer. <laughs> um, um, yeah, I still need to create those t-shirts going to make a note again t-shirts <laughs> and coffee mugs we gotta have coffee mugs yeah witchcraft is queer I gotta, I gotta add that one I, I am people looking on about that. We are seeing more and more um, stuff about witchcraft from the queer community and queer witches. Um, there's podcasts, there's books. I, I go to workshops pretty frequently. So it, it's changing. It's absolutely changing. And that information is out there and available, and people are talking about it, and it's awesome. Mm. Yeah, Candace said, please. I'm assuming you want a t-shirt and coffee mugs yeah. and, a, and, and a cap. There we go. Okay. <laughs> um, okay, let me continue. Uh, it, yes, I did scroll up. And kitty shirts. Yes, I need kitty shirts. <laughs> um, it was common for the people to meet once a week, like a service or a teaching session or even to work some particularly difficult piece of magic. As the persecution grew harsher, the meetings became more secretive, and for security's sake, the clans divided and knew nothing of each other. The mysteries were also united so that nothing would be forgotten. Yet I personally think it is better that they now divide since there is a mystery in sexual difference. And some some things may only apply to men, and some things only to women. No man may ever fully understand the mystery of menstruation or birth, and how it affects not only the female body, but mind and emotion. No woman may fully understand the male passion, full knowledge or craft, etc., since it is a part of the male mind in which most women have difficulty in understanding. Oh, this is going to be a fun one. Um, yet the faith teaches wisdom that has to do with both of these aspects of male and female. And when it was taught properly, as it was in the past, it produced some really remarkable people. One of the deepest and most appealing images in the faith is that of the virgin and child, whom the Catholics stole from us as late as the 12th century. Yet the approach of a man and the approach of a woman are very different to this one image. Right. 
I think we can just, like, you know, disagree with that. Basically, that whole character. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know some men who have given birth. So, yeah, so much for that. Um, mm. I, I know and women who women. have serious passion for knowledge and yeah. craft. And, I mean, just, nah. Fuck all that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Candace said it seems like he never had had passionate women in his life. If this is what he thinks, why would he? Yeah. I mean, I, I do find it interesting that a lot of these uh, accounts about witchcraft that we read here in the 60s and 70s, when it's, you know, becoming legal to write about it again, talk about what was happening before and the changes that happened because of the persecution. Mm. And that is definitely part of craft history. I have to kind of question how much of that is anachronistic reinvention to explain holes, to explain um, bits that are seemingly missing in folk magic and folk traditions that are passed down. Mm. I don't know. And I don't know. There's no way to, to know. Uh, but I, I'm also not going to say, oh, he was a product of his time or anything like that. We could have known better and done better. So mm. this, we're back at this, this binary, bioessentialist, reductionist boredom. Yeah. Uh, Richard said, yes, please skip this paragraph. Yes. Okay. Um, Cantus said, I mean, it was the 60s, the non-binary and gay was hidden from the world because of the fear of what people would do. Um, you know, Yolandi said, move along swiftly. Well, I, I know we hear the, it was such and such time or, you know, it was a product of their generation and I just, it's a terrible excuse and apologist for crap do better mm. i mean really we're talking about people that are uh, connecting with the godhead that are having union with divinity and connecting with all of humanity and they can't figure out that there's more than two mm. I, I it's it's a shit excuse i think and it's one that that gets floated all the time because it shuts down conversation and it you know, it ignores that hundreds of millions of humans have had a system that was not this in cultures all throughout the world and all throughout history. And it is the forces of colonialism and imperialism and these systems of control that eliminate them and pretend that they never were. And erasure doesn't help. Just just my soapbox that I'm sick of getting up on because it comes up again and again. As I said last time, it needs to be said. Um, uh, Heathen said, uh, in the old days, witches at the edge of society would help those in need, those other outcasts. Probably queers too. Oh yeah, yeah. absolutely. Well, and magic ran 
rampant even in the um, uh, divided societies of monks and nuns, which was also a refuge for a lot of queer people, because then mm. they didn't have to marry and produce children. And it mm. was some of the only options. The problem is this is a product of patriarchy, which was a complete reversal of what happened before that. Well, yeah, th there's a lot of debates about what the systems were before um, this guy, God conquering people came along and patriarchy rose. But mm. yeah. Witchcraft oh, is, is the fringe. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Back to the letter. Right. Let me finish this off. Uh, I have enclosed a leaf out of a book which has the photograph of a French menher. I don't know how you sound. Menher. 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 Upon it. Um, I had. Excuse me. Try that <laughs> again. I helped the woman who wrote this book and explained something of the menher. I'm supposed to do that right this time, um, to her. But she is a fool, and her book is a shame to read, since it is only <laughs> interested in the sensational and uh, not in wisdom. It's However, why apparently her name is not this paragraph. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> However, the men here contains all which theology and belief, and it if it is studied, it will answer many questions for you. The carvings date from the 17th century. The menhir is at least 2,000 years old. Archaeologists believe it is it, it to be a depiction of the Passion of Christ, which shows how little they know. Um, you will see upon it both male and female mysteries, with the bottom line reading as the third part, that of the priest magician. Understand it? and you will have the basic groundwork of the faith. Ask, ask me questions about it, and I, will, and I will explain them to the best of my ability. You will be coming to Britain within one year. When you do, come to us when you have free time, or maybe it is me going to America. We all know that didn't work out. Uh, oh, let me adjust I think, this I think that was supposed to be a prediction. Yeah. Okay. Uh, 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 there we go. I'm oh, trying to get here. the. Nope. Okay. Hold on a second while I rearrange this screen. There I'll read over here in the meantime. Yolandi said uh, it was supposed to have been the swinging 60s, uh, the start of the sexual revolution. Yeah, I was thinking, actually, she's thinking the same thing, the start of the sexual re re revolution, the drug culture, and everything else. So it was supposed to become more free, but there was still, I don't know, a lot of oppression. People just, like, they, can't, they can't get out, out of it that quickly. There's still, we still see it today. Okay, yeah. I've got it on the screen there, finally. My mouse was not cooperating, so. Can all see the... Uh, copy of the men here in there that has all of the symbols that he has listed the ladder and the broom and the cross tools and the hammer and the tongs and the glove and there's a sun and a moon on each side there's a little skull 
there's the little uh, cross X thing from the third letter, fourth letter. Um, there's the Awen oh, symbol. Symbols. There's the three silver orbs with the three uh, crescent moons in them that was also in that symbol. Um, so you can go go look that up on the links in the description so you can have a copy to actually study if you'd like. Mm. This then refers back to the fourth letter. Fourth is his, letter. His month's problem. Mm-hmm. We still don't know if that question mark is question or if it's supposed to be part of the question. Yeah. I think it's indicating a question. Yeah. My guess. Uh, Deborah said hello from Dallas, Minnesota. Hello, Deborah. And Candace said, is it just me or does he talk about witchcraft almost like a religion? Mm -hmm. To Cochran, it, it is a religion. religion. He is, yeah. It is a religion. And, yeah, I think in the early, early letters, um, he does mention that we don't call ourselves witch. Uh, it's the faith of people, uh, things like that. So it is very, very much a, a religion mm -hmm. for him. Yep. And, and it is for a lot of people. Um, for some people, witchcraft is not a religious practice. It is a magical practice. Uh, for some people, magic is the religious practice. But for a lot of people, witchcraft is a religion. A lot of people. And for Cochran, it definitely was. It's, I think in the first or second letter, he just flat out says that. Yeah. I think, you know, people nowadays, they um, largely define witchcraft as being a practice because it is the craft of the witch. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that's just one way of interpreting a word. It's, it's like looking at the word shaman. You know, some people will equate it with Native Americans. Some people will equate it with just the Tungus language and uh, the Tungus people. Um, whereas it more or less envelops witches, um, loads and loads and loads and loads of different practices or peoples from all over the world. So I think it's, it becomes very much a, a personal interpretation as well. Yeah, I think for a lot of people, um, it is a religious process. But there's plenty of people um, that say things like, I'm spiritual, not religious, um, which I've come to understand is code for, uh, I don't want to use the word religion because it's connected to trauma with Christianity, which, you know, that's cool. I I'm not saying you can't do that. Um, just, I think a lot of the back against the word religion is due to that experience of several people because that mm. is religion and I've even encountered that narrow definition of religion that is something similar to Christianity before in interfaith work where I've had other priests tell me what you're doing is not a religion because you don't all believe the same like well that's not what defines us as a group we all practice the same that's what defines us everybody's allowed to believe whatever they want you know so there's a lot of different opinions about that um but i do think mm. for most people witchcraft is a religion 
No, I think religion is usually defined as something which has dogma, um, has well, particular scriptures, and I wouldn't say yeah. witchcraft has dogma, but no, it doesn't. No, but usually it has. You know, people equate it to the Abrahamic religions. Yeah, yeah, that authority and so on and mm. so forth, which is not the way that um, witchcraft is structured. It's not the way other religions are structured necessarily either. So, but you know, um, it, it's like the same thing uh, we talk about. We look for signs of life in you know, space or in the deep sea or that sort of thing, and we can't find it. But what if we're only defining life so narrowly uh, that it's just like us and there's life that's not like us and therefore we're missing it? Mm -hmm. um, Deborah said, little I've learned so far, however, I believe it is a religion. So Rev Kai, if it isn't called a religion, what would you call it? Some people call it a practice or a magical practice. Um, some people call it a spirituality instead of religion. I like the word religion. That's what I use because it means religion, relinking, returning, reuniting. And so I, I quite enjoy that word as a descriptor mm. for what I do. But some people don't. Um, you know, there are atheist witches who feel that the use of religion implies a belief in divinity and therefore they don't want to use religion in that context. And they often use terms like practice. Um, you know, and here Cochrane regularly uses the faith capitalized to refer to his religion. I know plenty of witches who use the craft capitalized to refer to their practice as opposed to religion. And then there's plenty of people that call it a spirituality too, or spiritual practice. So just like labels for everything else, uh, whether people want to be a witch or, you know, not and so on and so forth, it's very personal. And it has a lot to do with our own experiences and how we relate to what those terms mean. All right. Well, we've come to the end of all the letters now, the, the Joe Wilson letters. The Wilson you know. letters, yeah. So mm. we're, we're going to take a break from the letters for a little bit and do some of our other usual chats. And then we are planning on coming back to more of the Cochrane letters because he also wrote to uh, Norman Gills and William Gray. And so we are going to do study chats on those at some time in the future and include those on our Cochrane Letters study chat playlist. Got that whole thing in there. <laughs> so having that difficulty tonight. But yes. next week, we are going to be talking about the equinoxes because it will be just before the equinoxes in both of our hemispheres. And just another reminder, the time will change. We are not going to move the time from 5 p.m. GMT. <laughs> so if you are in a place where daylight savings time happens, you will have to adjust. Yes. The time will change, but it's not actually changing. Was that confusing enough for time's not real? It will still be 5 p.m. GMT. If you have daylight savings time, your clock will change. Therefore, it will be a different number. <laughs> uh, Deborah said thank you. 
I hope I will show up on time. I will either be an hour early or an hour late, as is custom in the United States for the week after the time change. <laughs> I'll just send alerts through all of the apps. <laughs> bound to get one of them. Yep. And as always, um, you know, if you want notifications of when we go live, that's what the little bell is for. Uh, please give us a thumbs up. It really does help the algorithm. And if you'd like to talk to us about any of this stuff or other witchcraft things, join us in our forums. We have a Discord server called Wildwood Temple and a Facebook group called Wildwood Temple. And all of those links are in the link tree that's in the description of every video. Mm, I completely forgot to mention that this week. Do apologize. And Candace also said thank you. And good luck with the time change. Yeah, it, it's dumb. I don't know why they do that to us. We don't have to put up with that rubbish. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully by Friday I'll have it sorted out. Monday? Monday after it first happens? <laughs> Nobody has it sorted out and everybody's just like, what's going on? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> why are you late for work? I'm not. <laughs> Because they changed the bloody time. <laughs> <laughs> All right, good people. We'll see you next week. Have a fantastic one. Richard said, thank you. It was a fun chat. Thank you all for being here and chatting with us. Yep. I really enjoyed everybody's input and questions and thoughts this week. I hope we can have some more productive study chats in the future. Yeah. Okay, have a good one. Bye-bye. See you then. Cheerio. Thank you for joining us today in the Black Hat Chat. Have a look in the description of this podcast or in the About section for all of our links and tune in next week for another exciting chat.